Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Alex Owen. Now, Alex runs Owen Horsemanship in Idaho, just northwest of Boise. Now, the Western industry is filled with tons of physically strong individuals. However, Alex might be one of the most mentally tough individuals that I've ever met or had the privilege of speaking with. Throughout this episode, Alex shares some very, very traumatic details of his upbringing. I thank God for giving Alex the courage to share such details on a public forum. The lessons learned in this episode are invaluable, not only to people in the Western industry, but folks from all walks of life. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Alex Owen. Alex, what's going on, brother? Just getting all the horses ready and fed them all and uh, really excited about this uh, interview. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, before we get too deep into anything, I just want to take a few seconds to thank you on behalf of everybody at Let Freedom Rain. I know everybody's got a busy schedule, especially going into winter, right? Everybody's trying to winterize facilities and get everything yeah. locked down, and it's a busy part of the year for most folks with finals and all that stuff coming up. But I appreciate you taking some time for us and, and sharing your testimony and story and trying to help some folks out. Well, man, I really appreciate you having me on this podcast. You know, I've been really looking forward to it. I would love to share uh, my story. Hopefully, I can uh, relate to a lot of people. They can either grow or learn from my story and, and uh, see how they can apply it to their own life. And that's absolutely kind of the, the motivating factor in this podcast is that every single one of us in life, as we travel our journey, we've been broken or we've been damaged or there's been chinks in the armor and and it's okay to have those pitfalls in and I what I try to convey through my guests is that, you know, it just takes a small shift in perspective for a lot of folks to turn the tide and, and get you out of whatever slump you might be in, you know. So the diversity of the stories and people's history and people's growth and life lessons, and that's where a lot of the value comes in the content that we put out here at Let Freedom Reign. What I think what's so awesome about this podcast is, sure, most listeners are horse people, but there's so many awesome stories that are outside of the horse industry that can really affect people, you know, and, and I, like I said before, I really hope there's some listeners that can hear my testimony and my story and what I've been through that aren't horse people and they can go, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. So I am super excited about this. And I think this is an awesome platform uh, for every kind of listener. Well, we sure appreciate your support. That's for sure. So before we get too deep into your story, What's new around the barn? What's new around your facility, your program, and, and southwest Idaho there? We are going into winter, and, and it's actually funny. Um, the first sign of it today was when I went to go water horses. I picked up my hose and broke. Since that, it's went about, I think it was 12 degrees at the barn this morning. In the last, oh, yeah, in the last couple of days, it's been uh, 45, 45, 45, then boom, <laughs> 20s, teens, and so really wasn't expecting that this morning, and but we got it fixed, went and bought some new hoses. And so with the barn and the business, you know, it's going really well uh, for any horse trainer, no matter what genre or discipline you're in. You know, going in a winter is a scary deal. I have been very, very fortunate and still getting phone calls, still want people to get the horse trained. So I am so thankful for my clients and 
So, uh, yeah, no, going into winter is always a scary thing. And, and so I've been really thankful for the, the clientele here in this area. And, and we're still getting phone calls for training. And so just trying to get everything ready, make sure we have enough hay, enough shavings, and, and all the formalities to make sure that going into winter is successful for me and my horses. I have some family not too far from you there in Idaho, and they say that in the winter, it's the freeze that's kind of the issue. You don't really get socked in with snow or anything, or it's not terribly wet, but you get a lot of lot of cold, cold, cold weather up that a way. A couple of years ago, it would make a liar out of all of us. You know, I don't know if you spoke with your family about two years ago, we had that really awful winter. Uh, that no, mm-hmm. I would, I you would be a liar if you said you weren't ready for it. And so, going into normal weather, normal weather, then all of a sudden, I mean, a foot or two, and it stayed around for a long time. And so, the cold, I would say, definitely is a factor of a lot of stuff around here. But uh, I'm a cold weathered man, so I embrace it. Anytime I can wear wool and a scarf, I'm a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I wear beanies, two jackets, gloves. I don't I do not do well with the cold weather. I try to stay very well insulated. Yeah, and I don't know what it is, man. Uh, during When it's 110 outside, I feel like I'm useless. You know, I turn into a slug. Yeah. Us ones weren't bred for that. Good stuff. So explain to folks a little bit about Own Horsemanship, which is your program, yeah. and, and kind of what you guys do and what you train on and work on there. In my horsemanship, I really designed it for the public. It's really hard. So it's really hard growing up in the industry and really trying to make something out of it. And a lot of people, frankly, will not share their information. They won't. Sometimes it can be a very, I don't know how to word this. People don't like to share. They're very into themselves. They don't want to share their experience. They don't want to share their knowledge sometimes, you know. And with that being said, when I become of age and experience wise, I go, I don't want that to happen. I want to share my knowledge with the public regardless. So my goal is to build everyone's horsemanship. And so I love the public so much. My whole business is revolved around it. So if you come into my program, I actually give free lessons a couple times a week. Yeah, you know, and I do take a financial hit by that. But what I think is most important is not the horse and training now. It's when it goes home. And a lot of the times we can forget that. And so... When someone comes into my program, you know, we start from day one and I go, hey, ask a million questions. There's no wrong or right answer. There's no dumb question. And so I really try to guide them through this journey of horses. And so we go over from something as simple as haltering to something like flying lead changes and all that jazz. But it's really designed for the public. I have people from all, all genres of life. I've got jumping horses, dressage horses people that are into reining, into cow horse, you know, and I will no means claim I'm any of those high-end trainers like that. No, I will not claim that I am the best in the world in any of those. What I do say, though, is if that's your interest, my program will help you in those avenues and guide you in the right path. And I'll tell you, in me doing my homework of horsemanship, you do see that there's a very fundamental skill set, right that needs to be worked on as far as timing and feel and understanding the animal and what they're trying to trying to convey to you or understanding the horse and what they're trying to convey right. to you and that fundamental skill set is applicable to pretty much any and all horses it's you. not discipline specific you know it's not like hey for roping horses we do a b c and d and for reining horses we do e f and g you know it's it's a fundamental it's getting to know yourself first of all right and having the own your own wherewithal and your own awareness of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then from there, learning how that horse is trying to communicate with you. And then it's just a building block of, of you guys gelling as a team from there. I agree. You know, and a lot of the times we forget about 
the normal person, your weekend warriors, you know, and, and what I mean by that is a lot of our clients, at least in, 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 in the Treasure Valley, you know, they, they own a horse, you know, but they're not really familiar with it. So my goal is to bring those kind of people in and really show them the fundamentals, how to turn, stop, you know, and it goes obviously way more in depth than that. But when they run into a problem, I want to give them the right information. So when they do go home, they don't have to call me and go, oh, golly, what did he say? Because hopefully in our lessons, we covered that. And obviously, that being said, I love when they come back. Yeah, absolutely. And so really want to help the public out. You know, I love doing clinics. Clinics are awesome. That I like the clinic thing because you can travel and hit a market and or an individual that unfortunately can't travel two, three, four hours to your to your program. So um, really spreading the knowledge out in, in those different areas is I absolutely love. So do you spend a lot of time on the road or do you host most of the clinics? So we're in a pretty um, awesome area here in, in this with the Boise and Ampa Caldwell and all those towns. We are, I would say, a pretty massive horse area. And so we're very fortunate enough with the horse park we have that we can go host a, a clinic or uh, bring them to my facility. You know, when you are in a lot of the colder areas, a lot more people have indoors. And so there's always a place to host a clinic. And, and uh, I, I do try to travel a bit as much as I can. But here at the barn, you know, I've you normally got 13 to 15 horses in training. And so taking the time out to do that, it, it can be very challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like you got a pretty good program going on up there if you got a dozen horses in. I'm very fortunate for the clients I have. Very fortunate, like I said. And people are really, really willing to learn here. There's not a whole lot of people that think they know it all here. You know, we're very blessed that way. And so everyone's trying to get as much information from me or other trainers as they can. And, and when you have that kind of recipe going, it makes for an awesome industry. Yeah, it's funny. I have uh, quite a few friends in this area that, that train professionally. And I, I'll go out and visit and watch and just, you know, try to learn as much as I can from them when they're working horses. But it's funny, you'll see people all the time, clients will come in, they will pay a trainer right. to, to work on the horse or leg up the horse, but then that owner sits there and nitpicks the trainer the whole entire time telling them what to do and how to oh, do yeah. it. And it's, I just stand back because if I were to put myself in their shoes, it's like, you want to ask the question, hey, so what did you bring the horse to me for? What are you paying me for? If you know everything right. and you got this phenomenal animal, then then why are we even here dealing with I it? Agree. So to have people that are willing to learn, I think from an instructor's standpoint, it's motivating, right? Oh, it's something that you kind of feed when, off when of. When I get, you know, some of these people that come in want to gather so much knowledge and it's very inspirational you know and it does warm your heart you know and so when you get kind of people in um you're so excited to do those lessons because there unfortunately there are people in the industry like that you know that they do come in you know and and you got to go hey who's training this horse here me or you and you no matter what industry you're yeah. going to be in you know if it's horses or if you're a, a construction guy, you know, all of those, you're going to have those people and you do have that conversation with them. And, and uh, if they if they continue to be like that, let's say, then you politely ask them, you know, we're unfortunate about the program for you. But I try to get as many clients as I can that build my life up in a positive way and then I can build theirs up too. And, and when you do have a barn full of those kind of people, man, you love your job every day. Yeah, it's a lot of momentum. A lot of momentum you guys can get. Yep. Good stuff. Well, we'll circle back in this conversation and, and kind of build up the horsemanship program and how you got to that point. But if you don't mind maybe sharing with people your story and your upbringing and, and how you found your way through life and, and found horses. Yeah. So, um, so I'm 25 years old. 
And so I was born and raised in Idaho. You know, I came from, uh, my parents are actually aren't horse people, not even a little bit. What really turned me on to horses actually when I was a, a young kid and uh, in Burley. And so uh, my grandparents lived in the middle of nowhere, which was a blessing. <laughs> and so every time, every summer, you know, if I was being a bad kid, my mom would just send me to grandma's house. But I actually loved it there. So it was like a, a double win. It's so, uh, yeah, I was say it worked, it worked for, for me. And so they actually had a horse in the pasture. And I didn't know really. I knew, you know, you knew it was a horse. You didn't know the color. You didn't know anything about it. And I remember the first time I saw that thing, I was like mesmerized. I would just stand out. My grandma's caught pictures and videos of me. And this is obviously, this was in the 90s. And so, um, so I'm sitting there looking at that horse. And I remember my grandma was like, you just stand out there for hours. Eventually, I'd have the courage. And, I, and it came up and smelt me. And it was game over for there. And then I got the courage and I went through the fence. And, you know, then I was jumping on its back. And I, I didn't even know if the horse could ride. You know, I didn't really know what riding really was back then. And so. Isn't it funny? Just young, young and reckless. Young and right? reckless. Oh, man. And so, uh, well, like I said, my parents weren't into it, you know. So I didn't, it, I didn't have an avenue to go from that feeling to directly into horses. And so, uh, so what my family does for a living is they do martial arts and they do uh, what's called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if anybody's ever seen the UFC where they, they're on the ground, they submit each other. That's what my uh, father and mother do for a living. And so uh, I grew up doing martial arts. I did it for like 17 years. And not many people know this about me because I would say I'm a big giant teddy bear. <laughs> and so I did that growing up. And my dad was a police officer for uh, 20 years in Twin Falls. And so that's kind of the avenue I grew up in. But you kind of know something's missing, you know, no matter how much you love something, when your love is truly directed in a different area, you know, there is kind of not, a, I wouldn't say a hole, but there's kind of that, you're kind of in the back of your head going, God, there's something I want, you know, I just can't put my finger on it. And I've yeah, always yeah. loved animals. And so I, I actually wanted to be a zookeeper growing up. I mean, it was like, uh, even when I was getting into horses, I still was like, it's got to be animals, it's got to be animals, got to be animals. So. I grew up doing martial arts uh, my whole life, and I think that has truly molded me into the man I am today. Regardless through my endeavors and regardless through the bad times or the good times, martial arts truly made me the man I am. And it's helped my horsemanship tenfold. I would not be where I am today without the mental and physical structuring as I had. I was going to say, if you don't mind, then take a minute to kind of expand on that because Obviously, I'm a huge supporter of martial arts. Right. I think the discipline and the fitness and everything that comes along with it is beneficial in, in every avenue of people's lives. But what lessons learned from jiu-jitsu are applicable to, to horsemanship or that, that carried you through? So I grew up doing um, stand-up martial arts. And at the time, my father was a uh, uh, purple belt in jiu-jitsu. And then now as today, it's, it's switched over to, to all jiu-jitsu. And so I grew up sparring fighting, you know, cage fighting and, and all that stuff. So that being said, your discipline has to be very, very strong because if your discipline is not there and you're fighting someone, your emotions can take full-blown control of you and you're going to do something you'll regret, right? Or you're not going to make the tactical move you need to do to, to beat someone, right? Now you start to fight emotionally rather than intelligently. And I try to live my life exactly what you just said. You know, I, I try not to spearhead my emotions first. You know, they're always a part of any decision you make. But I Absolutely. truly feel if you spearhead with emotions, you're going to make a critical wrong decision. And so martial art, you know, and every kid, you know, growing up, we're going to go through our angry, happy phases and stuff. And so martial arts was a phenomenal outlet for me. And then my father was my teacher. 
And so it was phenomenal learning from your father. And so he really, like I said, formed me and who I am. And so uh, now let's go a few years later in the martial arts career. Now I'm fighting in the cage, mm-hmm. right? Pretty big deal. Not not the concept of me fighting the cages is the big deal. But when you're in the cage and you're locked in a a large cage with someone and you're going, the only way you can come out of this is if you get beat up, submitted, or knocked out, right? Yeah. It's a pretty eye-opening experience. So now yeah. if you go into that cage, uh, guns ablazing angry, you're going to make a critical error. And so you've got to go in those situations in life pretty clear-minded and, and accepting the good and the bad of that situation or any outcome. And so that has directly affected me with horses because going back to that emotion control, riding horses can bring out the demons in you, right? It can bring out the fear in you. It oh, can bring absolutely. The, nine times in 10, it's the fear. So it can bring out the fear in you. And so now when you're working, especially with a, uh, a wild horse, you know, a troubled horse, you know, an angry horse, or just the best horse on the planet, if we do not have emotion control when we ride these creatures, they're so sensitive that um, we're going to start making mistakes. And uh, especially working with a, a nervous horse. I love my absolute favorite thing is working with scared horses because I can relate. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what they're feeling in certain aspects. And, and I know that if I get angry, I'm going to make a poor decision. I'm going to make a critical error. Therefore, it can't make that situation worse. It all stems back from martial arts because it's taught me to think clearly and not look at every situation like that's the outcome. Doing martial art, it, things can change on the fly. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Martial arts has been, and I, and I recommend every single human getting into martial arts. I mean, not for just self-defense, but just for that life-changing thought process. I was going to say, I, I think a huge benefit is the mental health side of it. Oh, right? 100%. I mean, physically getting, getting, getting some, blowing some steam is good for you, right? And expounding a little energy, but I very much resonate with, with the mental discipline and the control and the ability to think under pressure and stress and being put in uncomfortable situations and avoiding what seems to be human nature of panic, right. you know, when you're put in a compromising position and being able to take a step back and breathe and think through things and come up with a plan and execute that plan. I mean, the the benefits of not only Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but like you talked about, most martial arts or combat sports, I think is is advantageous to I everybody. Agree, you know, for those for those reasons, not not for the sake of you want to just run around and punch people. Right, in the throat. you know, and I whenever I I bring up martial arts, people, the last thing I really talk about is self defense or fighting, because mm-hmm. yes, I can defend myself for pretty much dang near everyone, but that has nothing to do with it. It literally is the last thing yeah. that I, I truly care about in that in this content. It is the self-discipline. And and what's also kind of nice is honestly being on a regiment, a mental regiment. Because when we come back to our personal life, you know, it, it can be all over the place. But the studio or the gym, it's the same every single time. And you're expected to act the same every single time. So you take those traits you learn. And then all of a sudden, they apply to your, your normal life. And then your life just starts heading on the right path. Yeah, it starts to fall into place. And then when it comes to egos with martial arts, you, 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 if you're a guy with an ego and you lose your humil- uh, humility, you will get some humility put back in you. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, combat sports will find it for you and return it. will return it tenfold, <laughs> and it is happy to do so. <laughs> and yeah. so that's also helped me in my business because I would like to think I'm a fairly humble guy. 
but it does. And I learned that a long time ago. You know, you, you, I am, I'm 6'4", 220 pounds. So I'm a pretty big guy. Now you take that same size in a teenage boy, right? Walking around, strutting his, yeah. peak, you know, he's peacocking, thinking, thinking mm-hmm. he is the top dog. You know, humility will hit yeah. you like a baseball bat to the face. So it's yeah. taught me no matter how big my career gets, you're still that kid from Idaho, you know, and, and it, I think it's great to keep, it keeps you grounded, you know? Right. And I, uh, I'm a firm believer in that, you know? So like I said, to anybody that listens to this and it's a confidence builder, hold my lanta. It's a confidence builder in a positive manner. Yeah. So I really recommend everyone get into in some form of martial arts. It doesn't have to be what my family does for living Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but just something that can, can uh, constructively help your life. That's awesome. 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 So in going back through your story, growing up, you know, you're doing the martial arts stuff, learning from dad. Where do we go from there? So um, now we'll get to a lot more of personal notes through this whole martial arts process. So I'm going to backtrack actually to when I was a kid, and this is it's this very personal side of me. When I was four years old, I was molested by my neighbor. He was, I believe, 18, 19, 20 at the time, and that happened for about four years. And so growing up, you know, as a young kid, why this is going on and you hear anybody's story, they really don't understand what's truly going on. Going through all that, I thought life was normal. You know, I didn't say anything because as a four-year-old child, you don't really know wrong from right in certain aspects, especially when you have an adult presence around you. And so that went on. Uh, my, my next door neighbor, he was, like I said, uh, 1920s and uh, he would actually babysit us. He was a very normal kid on the outside. And uh, so he babysit us for a really long time, and a lot of bad stuff happened. It actually didn't come to fruition for me until I would, I honestly probably hit about 10, 10 years old, where we're kind of really understanding what the past brought to us, you know what I mean? Yeah. There was a really hard time, you know, because you start having the nightmares, and you start having, you know, the, the look backs, and, and you're going, you do, you end up playing the victim role. And what I mean by the victim role is you can sit there and blame yourself that you were the one that made this happen. So I was at that point, you know, and, and I'm a child. And so you want to point fingers and you want to blame stuff, but you can't. You can't go, you can't go, it was my fault. You know, it, you just got to say, honestly, it happened. And how can I grow from this? And I was tired of being a victim. I truly was. So how, how old were you when you made that transition from having the victim mentality to realizing, hey, enough is enough. I got I to gotta find my way out of this. I would say um, early teens, you know, we're, we're going through okay. puberty. Uh, we've already got a rampant amount of emotions, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, which is difficult oh, on anybody short difficult. of those yeah, circumstances. Yeah, very difficult on a lot of people, you know. And so, uh, and I, like we just said, I was tired of playing the victim. And I go, you know what? It wasn't my fault. Alex, grow from this. And going back to the martial arts side of things, that helped me so much. Because, yes, I could take out my anger. Uh, but what it did, it made me learn how to defend myself. It made me a stronger man. It, it goes, no matter what's put in front of you, you can overcome this. And so, and I'm, uh, sounds, you know, I'm not saying it sounds crazy, but I'm very glad that happened when I was a kid because it directly makes me who the man I am today. Uh, with the, humi- you know, like I said, I try to be, uh, I try to have humility. You know, I'm very understanding. You know, you learn not to judge people. Um, you learn that no matter what situation you're in, it's going to get better. Financially, marriage, you know, if you lose something, someone passes away, you know, life does move on. And so, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm happy it happened, you know, and, um, and I wouldn't change it for the world. That's an incredible perspective you have. I mean, 
my heart goes out to you. Well, I couldn't like imagine said. those circumstances. And, and I mean, everybody, you know, how your family takes it and, and how you metabolized it over those years. And I appreciate you sharing such intimate oh, details man, of your no life. And, and this is where I think the growth really happens for everybody in this. In we've all experienced trauma on some level, right? right? On varying levels of the same same spectrum, per se. And for you to say that you're fortunate for going through that circumstance and finding the growth and it makes you who you are today, I think that's when that's when growth really takes place for an individual after experiencing trauma, when you realize that, hey, you might not have had as much control over it as you right. think, or you blame yourself, right? And you're kind of accept, accepting of the circumstances and you understand that everything in life, everything, good and bad, is a season. I agree. Right? Nothing, nothing is truly forever. And it's not, you know, nothing, you're right, nothing is truly forever, you know, and, and I, and I want to reach out to anybody that listens that's been through some similar situation that it does get better. The only reason it got better for me is because I took a stand saying I am not a victim and what can I do to make myself better as a human and make people around me better from my, from my experience. I think it's a huge testament to your inner strength as a human being, you know? I mean, it's those circumstances are circumstances that bury people for the rest of their lives. And, I agree. and people can't get out from underneath it. So for you to A, find your way out and grow personally and now be to the point where you're willing to help others in that journey. I mean, it's just it's more than commendable. I mean, I'm not wearing a hat right now, but if I was, I'd tip it to you. Well, um, <laughs> I appreciate that. No, I I really appreciate and, that, and, you know. And, and all jokes aside, I mean, this is what this podcast is all about. We've, we've all fallen on, on our face. If one man can help another not fall on their face and, and learn that lesson by listening to this podcast or, or changing the perspective based on what was heard on this podcast, it's it's what it's all about for us. I agree. You know, and this is, like I said in the beginning of this, this is a phenomenal platform for people to be on and or listen to. Yeah. Uh, um, and it, and it, it, hopefully this changes people's lives, you know, and I, and I know it will. I know it will. So how has... In going through your journey, like you explained as a young child, you know, you went to your grandparents' house and you watched the horse and jump on the horse. And, right. and then you're, you talk about these formidable years, you know, four through eight and, and the experiences that took place then and in the early teens kind of struggling with identity and then coming to the point where it's like, you know what, forget this. I'm not a victim. It's time to grow and, and, right. and fight our way out. Where has the horse been interwoven in your recovery and your growth and your development? So... Going through having that thought process of, of when the horse came uh, into full circle is, uh, you know, back in the teens, you know, back when I was a teenager, you know, it goes back to me loving animals. And like I said before, I always knew I wanted to do something with animals because it kind of goes to a therapeutic sense, honestly, you know, and I, I guess I took a therapeutic sense and made it into a, a, a large business. <laughs> There's no better feeling than when you're sad and your dog comes up and loves you. No better feeling. Now, take that thing and, and now my experience, you know, I wanted to work with animals and, and, and I, like, I, I look back on that moment with that horse and I, and I told myself way back then that's what I wanted to do for a living. And so I started riding horses again and I just felt my whole world change. I mean, every bad thought I've ever had, every emotional state I've ever been with, you know, if I look back on the past, you know, it is really easy to kind of have your emotions swollen back up. But every time I was around that horse, that never happened. 
You know, it was like I always explain it like uh, if anybody's ever seen the movie Avatar, and I people laugh at this sometimes. You see the movie Avatar, and you know when they connect their hair together, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're one. That's uh, that's the best way to explain it for me. <laughs> it really is. It's an awesome perspective. <laughs> no, it, it, I yeah. was, I've always taken ways to explain that. You know, and, and I go, you know what? That's the best thing to, to explain. So I started riding horses uh, back in my teens. So maybe you know, almost ten years ago when I started, and now we're. At, to today and uh and so i just connected with these creatures you know and it had nothing to do with training it had nothing to do with methods it had nothing to do with who's the best hand it simply was a connection and what do you think are you at a place where you could look back on that experience and be able to articulate what you think it was that the horse provided to you you know um so when i give lessons i explain it to this i go i go take your personal vendettas and set them aside because the horse will never judge you. The horse will simply judge you on your actions, okay? So the horse doesn't care about my past, right? It doesn't care what happened to me. It simply cares about in the moment. It simply cares about how you take care of them and how you interact with them. And so that's kind of a point where I go, oh my gosh, these creatures are so much more than four legs and fur. Absolutely. It's That's an awesome perspective you bring up. I was talking with uh, previous guest Jeremy Harrell. He was, he was episode number seven. He runs Veterans Club in Kentucky, and they do a lot of therapeutic work with combat yeah. veterans. And we spoke on that same exact subject when he would introduce folks to a horse. He'd cut a horse loose in a round pen, and he and he'd tell guys, "Hey, you know, just go out, be with that horse for a little bit. You know, take ten, fifteen minutes, and right. just just talk to the horse. You know, kind of get it off your chest." And these guys would look at him like. You want me to go out and rock, walk into this pen and talk, <laughs> talk to an animal. Right. But then when Jeremy starts to peel back the layers as to why, and, and you're going to be able to speak to this more than anybody, when you have your deepest, darkest secrets, right? Or whatever's bothering you with your identity or trauma or right. a life decision, no matter how close you are with an individual, another human being, right. there's always that hesitation in the back of our mind when you explain it to them, am I going to get judged? Right. 100%. When you go out in that round pen with a horse and you verbalize the same exact thoughts, there is zero chance of you getting judged. Zero. And the simple fact of you getting it off your chest and knowing that there's not going to be any judgment in return, I think is a huge, huge turning point in, in taking stride number one in an individual's growth and development. I agree. So it's, it's awesome that you bring up that same perspective, you know, many years later in, in different states. You know, and and going a little bit back to that, you know, I brought up I brought up uh, scared or nervous horses, or abused horses. You know, I've worked with a lot of rescues, and why it's been so successful for me is is one hundred percent my past experiences. You know, you, on that Buck Brand movie, you know, they say the most injured souls are are the best horsemen, or something along the lines of that. Yes, sir. Because it's true, hundred percent. Because that scared horse coming to my facility for the first time pulled out of whatever it's comfortable in and you know and it, it's had so many bad encounters with humans holy smokes i've been there for a long time yeah. yeah so you do learn the steps to take and how much growth can happen so fast when we take our personal vendettas out of the way and start working together because you both have been in the same place and he doesn't care and you shouldn't care either it's just it's like this spiritual magical avatar thing we just talked about no, it's, it's an incredible journey, and I can say that I have experienced 
somewhat of a parallel journey or parallel road traveled. I mean, the horse that I have is a, I purchased him as a, as a head horse. Sure. And I didn't know the first thing about horses when I, when I got back into it. And sure. Now looking back at who he is, inherently he's just a nervous horse by personality trait. Mm -hmm. However, I think he was just pulled out and roped on and pulled out and roped on and pulled out and roped on and he was afraid of getting the guts kicked out of him and his head ripped off right. if he didn't perform. Right. That he was very, very, very untrustworthy of human beings. Like when I first got him, it was difficult for me to put a halter even on this horse. Right. Because he'd lift his head so high in the air out of out of defense. I guess my uneducated interpretation at the time is just that it's a piss poor horse, right? He doesn't right. he doesn't want to go along with the program. He's just stubborn. But then once right. you start to peel back the layers and, and, and all the personality that he had shown me is what drove me towards horsemanship to find a better way to get through to this horse. You hit the nail on the head. This horse was just broken. You know, right. he had just been thumped on for so long and, and been handled very heavy that he was just very untrustworthy horse. And, and then you, like you said, you peel back the layers, you know, and we, we kind of go to the root of the problems and then work together as partners and you, you know, people that aren't even aren't horse people, you'd be very, very surprised on what you can accomplish when you have a, a wider thought process. Oh, absolutely. And that horse has driven me to get so much better. And people have, have been very complimentary of our progress, but it's well, that's awesome. him showing me the way. I'm not, I, I don't feel that it's me getting better. I feel that he's teaching me how to get better, I, right? How 100%. to be more cognizant of myself and my cues and how I operate around him. And it's, it's unless you've experienced it, it's hard to explain. It, it, it definitely is. You know, I, I agree with you. You know, but you 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 hit the nail on the head with that, man. It the horse will teach you so much. You know, with putting him in the right situation where he's comfortable and successful, and and he'll guide you through the path. You know, and you're his student. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're now into your as far as your history, right? We're now into your teens and in your formidable years and. You're starting to lock in on horses. When do you make the decision in your life that this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to dedicate myself to? Coming in the, the, the age we are now, I think kids have to figure out what they're doing with their life like this minute. You know, you're a sophomore in high school and it's like, you better figure out what you're doing the rest of your life. And, it, and sometimes it can feel like that you've got to pick something now and you've got to run with it. And that's the only thing you can ever do with your life. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, in my teens, I had to make a decision. Do I stay with the martial arts world? And I would be handed, my father has made such an empire in the martial arts world, I would truly be set the rest of my life. Right. I would just be handed up. My dad did all the work. He, I'm just coming into, it's like your, your father's a king and you just take the throne over. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. So I had to make a decision. I go, uh, I go do you want to do the martial arts thing that you, you still love? But it just doesn't, it's just not in your heart. You know what I mean? And I was also working with horses at the same time. Like I said, coming back about, I don't know, almost 10 years ago, my heart was just there. So I, in high school, I made that decision that, you know, I was still green. Oh my gosh, I didn't know nothing. Nothing about nothing. Mm -hmm. So I made a decision that, hey, you know what? It, the horse industry is so difficult to make a career out of, but I'm going to throw everything I have at this. It's the best decision I ever made. So when I graduated high school, you know, and I really was never a college guy. I'm all for college. Now, as <laughs> I'm getting older, I'm like, holy smokes, everyone go to college. But martial arts is funny. The martial arts is what brought me into the horse world. 
through connections, as weird as it sounds, how they correlated into my career. So I was working at a horse facility. You know, I was learning to, to train a bit. I was I was a stall. I mean, I was a hand. That's I mean, that's I was a ranch hand at some horse facilities. And so I was just doing my dues and doing my dues. And so I come in the house one day, and there's this guy from Canada laying on my couch. So my dad was putting on a martial arts seminar here in Boise. And so what my dad does is if you're from really, really, really far away, he'll let you stay in our house. So you don't have to buy a hotel. You don't have to go through the formalities. It's like and, – and have a family dinner. So I'm walking from leaving from the horse facility I was at. And I walk in my house, and there's this guy sitting on my couch. <laughs> and he's like, hey, my name is Mike. And I was like, hey, my name is Alex. He goes, are those your boots? And I was like, yeah. He goes – what do you do? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I want to be a horse trainer. You know, I want to pursue this career. He goes, have you ever thought to move to Canada? And I was like, who thinks about moving to Canada? Yeah, not right now, <laughs> sir. Like, yeah, not going to Canada. So he actually ran, him and his wife are pretty big in the racehorse world. I mean, I'm talking where they're managing 200 horse facilities. Oh, geez. Like, it, yeah, it was monstrous. So he goes, hey, man, you want to move to Canada? The reason he offered it to me because him and my dad have known each other a long time. And they're, they, Mike, he is a, a racehorse trainer, but he also does jujitsu also. Mm-hmm. So he's known my dad a long time, you know, and, and, and he loves my father. So it was like, hey, let's offer this kid. And I'm like 18, just out of fresh out of high school. It was like, I think like a week or two later, I was on a plane to Canada. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So I went to Canada. Tried out a few horse facilities. You know, I was just still a ranch hand. I mean, I was still just cleaning stalls, exercising from horses, you know, not a trainer at this point. And tried it out, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this. You know, and this is the racehorse world, so it's obviously a little different than, than other industries, you know. Correct. It's not as necessarily hands-on as you would say you come to a Western barn, and well, everyone's riding, you know, everyone's yeah, doing this. Yeah, there's work everyone's to be done. In the racehorse world, it's there's – two or three jockeys. They're the only ones that ride the horse. Everyone else is ranch hand. Real black and white. Yep. So um, I never worked on the track, though. I wasn't. I never wanted to. I didn't want to be a part of that. When I say never want to be a part of that, it just wasn't a lifestyle I wanted to live because it's a very, very low-paying, crucial, dirty, hard job. And I commend those men that work at the racetrack because they're some of the most hardest-working people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> So I worked at the actual facility that they trained the horses for the most part. We bred the horses. So moved to Canada a little over a year. And then I, uh, you know, then the work visa stuff gets very complicated. So I ended up coming back home. So it was actually quite a large endeavor for me to even move there. There was so much paperwork, you know, you had to get two countries involved. Now it's not to that macula level, but I mean, you, you get what I'm saying. No, it's absolutely a little bit of red tape to get a get across the border. Oh, yeah, and then and then here's the thing: why is this American kid? Why are we trying to you know you're trying to get this American kid in here to work? Which usually it's like totally backwards. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So that took a long time, and so I just continued. I got a phone call. They're like, "Hey, man, we're ready for you to move to Canada." And I was like, "Boom!" Loaded my pickup, went to Canada. Holy smokes! Wake up call. So now this is what helped me be independent as a human because. You know, this is when normally kids go to college, right? Yep. This is when mom and dad are still pretty close and financially support you and this, this, and this. Me, moved to Canada. I knew three or four people. I was financially on my own. It's a whole, it, it's, it's still Canada, but it's a different culture. Yeah, you're going to figure life out real fast. Real fast. And it wasn't like, and here's the thing is I just couldn't go home. I mean, I could, but I mean, think of how much went into this. Yeah. Just for me just to walk get away there. from it because you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there was a lot of nights where, like, you would literally lay there and be like, dear God, I want to be back home all the time. 
And then you start growing and growing and growing, and then all of a sudden you love it. You know what I mean? And when I had to leave Canada, I was actually like pretty upset. Made a lot of friends, you know, a cowboy. So I lived uh, about 45 minutes from my work. Another kid that I met when I first went to Canada and visited, his name was Colton. So his parents had a six-section outfit. So they had about 600 pair of cows, and, and we cowboyed after work. We'd go cowboy and rope every day. And so that helped me out dramatically, you know, and, and helped my spirits up and, and taught me even more about horses and how to ride better and rope and, you know, take it to a next level, you know, because you're, you're, you're cowboying, you're going 100 miles an hour and you, your fear has to kind of go out the window. Yeah. yeah. You're in it <laughs> now. Yeah. You're in it now. You know, and that's where I started to learn how to ride colts. That's where I started kind of the process. And uh, so I went to Canada was there for a bit, you know, then circumstances obviously happen when you're a, and it was so weird being called an immigrant. Holy smokes. That That's was funny. the weirdest thing. Yeah, I it never was, even thought about that. Yeah. They can call yourself an immigrant. You're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I was a full-blown immigrant, you know, green card, like, it was wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, still didn't get health care, turns out, free health care there. You just still didn't get it. So, uh, <laughs> and I was paying a lot of taxes, uh, let me tell it. you. I, I think I made like three. Three, three to almost four thousand a month, which is a lot of money, but this is Canada. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember after I did my taxes, you know, through the whatever companies you own your work, I think I made like $80. Oh, sweet. <laughs> like, that was it. High paying you know job. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wow, I made all the money. I should get some. And I paid a lot in taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't, didn't make very much, apparently. And it was a real world, you know, money management I learned there was crazy. For instance, if people are alcohol drinkers, you know, a case of beer was $60 for crap beer. Holy Jesus. Oh, yeah. Uh, some of you like Jack Daniels because they're the most recognizable. You know, their their handle, their mid-sized normal bottle, $70, $80. I mean, nothing was cheap. Nothing was cheap. Copenhagen, $27 a can. Holy smokes. Yeah. Fuel was $7 a gallon. So now being an 18-year-old kid, trying to money manage all that was... Holy smokes. Yeah, you better make some decisions. I loved it, though. Oh, man, I loved it. And so learned a lot there, met a lot of people. You know, I met a lot of older gentlemen that really, you know, when you take, when you think of the old cowboy man with all the wisdom, I had one, bless his heart. So he uh, helped me out a lot, you know, all the peers around me. So then I, uh, like I said, I moved back home at that point, moved in back with mom and dad. And I was, I don't know, 20, early 20s, I think. Well, so I must have left to Canada, I think, when I was like 19, almost 20. So I would have been 21 moving back home. And the funny thing about Canada is, you know, when people turn 21, you like have that big hoorah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My big birthday for yeah, being well, able to legally, Canada, legally drink now. In Canada, it's 18. <laughs> <laughs> My 21 birthday was in Canada. And I'm like, woo. Yeah, they're doing it for years, boys. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that's not very really cool. So anyways, oh, I thought it was it was. It was not happy, but it was pretty happy back then. It was, it was a funny story. So I came back home, worked for a dressage gal and some other trainers, you know. And like I said, still didn't want to go to college, not because I was against it, but it was just at this point, it was such a distant memory. So this gal, Adrian, and I hope she's listening to this. She's from my part of town. I have this lady. I owe a lot to this gal. So Adrian, uh, she's a, an English trainer here in, in, in Eagle. I don't know if you're familiar with Eagle. Yes, sir. So Eagle, she's that's where all the English gals are and uh, jump in dressage and stuff. And so... I was working for this trainer, and she and I got to meet her and know her. And she goes, "Alex, what are you doing with your life?" And not in a rude way. She's just like, "You're you're a kid, child still, and I'm still a child, but still, you're a kid. Like, what do you start making some decisions? Like, do you want to be a hand thruster for your life?" And I go, 
She's like, why don't you go to college? I was like, I want to be a horse trainer. Why would I go to college? Right? You're typical. I think that was a, a boy thing. Yeah. Mindset right there. I don't need college. And so she goes, hey, go to this college. And I went to LCCC in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So Adrian used to be the equestrian coach for that team. And Adrian's student is now the coach there too. So she made a few phone calls. And I literally, I think I had three days till school started. Oh, geez. Load yeah, that truck like up and hit the road again. That's how my whole life has been, I yeah. swear. It was like, load it, say your goodbyes, get your formalities done, and boom. And I remember pulling to Cheyenne. Have you ever been to Cheyenne, Wyoming? I have not. Well, it's Cheyenne. I don't want to diss the town none, but it's a funny thing. Because, you know, think of all the movies and songs about how cowboy Cheyenne is. Yeah. Hard pass. Not even a little Not even a little cowboy. Really? Yeah, I was baffled. I mean, back when they used to ship a lot of cattle in there, uh, it was, you know, but yeah. now it's it's just like it's like Meridian. You know what I mean? It's the city. Just the city. You know, they. I remember trying to buy, they had a, uh, do you know Murdoch's or DMB? Mm-hmm. That's all, that's all they got there now. All Murdoch the saddle makers went to Fort Collins or Denver and stuff. And so. Now, in the center of Cheyenne, there's the biggest oil refinery I've ever seen in my life. Right off the highway. So when I pulled up there, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> and it's just flat desert. And so I uh, got there and I, was, I didn't know what to expect, you know, and it wasn't very for good first impressions in the content of like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I gave up home for this. Yeah, right. And that was, so I was pretty discouraged and I was 22 at this time. No, 21. So I came back and then short time later, I went back, I just, I, I came back home short time later, I was off again. But I was so committed to the horse industry that I knew this was the only path I, I could do. I couldn't sit around too long. I mean, I had to grow. I had to grow knowledge and stuff. And so went to college, and it was the greatest thing. I, I miss college to this day, let me tell you. So I went to a junior college, and at our junior college, we had – you been to the Idaho Center? Yeah, the Ford Center there? Yeah, the Ford Center. Mm-hmm. That was like our indoor Oh Jesus! Arena, yeah, and I got there. and I was like, I got to the campus, and I was like, this is like a horse mecca here. Like this yeah, is I can, agriculturally. I can get used to this. Yeah, and I felt like, I mean, and I'm still wish I could do that, you know. So I was on the equestrian team, ranch horse team, horse judging team. You know, I practice with the rodeo team sometimes, uh, and so then I, I, I went to school for equine science, and uh, um, and then I did a lot of the colt starting classes. I mean, I watched. I was that weird kid that wouldn't leave the barn. <laughs> and I was a lot more, yeah. And I was older than most uh, of the kids, funny. you know, so I couldn't relate to a lot of the 18 year old kids. And so now this school is pretty relaxed, you know. If you're really into the horse stuff, they they wanted, and I had, oh, and I was on scholarship too, which was pretty, pretty cool. So that helped me out a lot too. That really motivated me to be successful because I, the school was paying for it, you know. So I watched, so I was in a colt starting class. And then after my colt starting class, there was another one and another one. So I would literally sit in the barn for, Besides my formality classes I had to take, every ounce of my time was in that barn. So I probably watched three cold starting classes or two to three cold starting classes as much as I could every day, every single day. So I got tried to get two to three times the knowledge I could in that singular day, and I did it for free. Yeah, I was going to say, if this is what you want to do with life, then why not? You had to. And you know, you watch some of those, and all the 18-year-olds would make fun of me, saying, Alex, don't leave this barn. You're way too into horses. And I go, in my mind, I go, thank you. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Yeah, because I'll show you one day. And then uh, the horse judging, holy smokes, helped my career because it helps, you know, it makes, it, judging like reigning shows and all that. What it did was it helped me look for a lot of stuff in a quality horse. That could be a performer, you know, or what looks nice, you know, when I show and stuff. And so, and then the equestrian team taught me how to show and I'm not the world's greatest shower. We're working on it. But it taught me how to ride nice. You know, it taught me how to make sure I'm not looking when I'm getting, ju- you know, not making these monster corrections when I'm showing, you know, and, and 
I remember my first my first show on the equestrian team, man, it was a gong show. Awful. And then the year later, man, I was winning and winning and winning, and it was phenomenal. And so, um, and I was like one of two guys on the whole team. So it uh, it was pretty. When I first got, I was like, "Holy smokes, why is there so many women here? Where's all the guys?" But no one was in. <laughs> no guys were in horses. Yeah. So, uh, so did that, and then uh, I absolutely loved college. And then I helped. I worked for the college for the barn. I took care of the barn and all the rope and steers and bucking horses and bulls that would come in and, and all that stuff, you know, and it, that was a phenomenal experience because every day I got a doctor or something and that was fun. Yeah. Got paid, you know, I was on scholarship and got paid. So that was stinking awesome. I'll say that's, that's pretty nice. Yeah. You know, and I loved it, you know, and, and I, my style has changed from there. Like in the sense of what I, what, you know, my horsemanship, you know, you got to work with a lot of phenomenal people. You know, there's some reigning cow horse guys in there that were involved with the college. So you got to learn some reigning cow horse. And, and it was it was awesome, you know. And I still wish I was in college today. Just And I didn't have to pay for anything. You know, I didn't ever have to pay for the entry fees. I never had to pay for the hotels. I never had to pay for anything. And I got to travel the country. And so, yeah, and, and that was a phenomenal time in my life. And then, say, it sounds so, like quite quite the opportunity. Oh, man. it was awesome. And, and, and what's cool about this school is it probably cost you 7000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, highly recommended college. Now fast forward, and so I left college for my my potential future wife at this point. So I moved um, back home to Meridian, Boise area, and uh, moved in with my fiance at the time. We started our business, so we've had our business for about four year, four ish years, and so uh, going and this on is, five. This is, this is Owen Horsemanship, correct? This is Owen Horsemanship. Okay. So we moved back back to Boise, and my and and my dad's an entrepreneur, so I've just got that entrepreneur spirit. And so I go, well, the only way for me to figure this out is if I start a business. <laughs> you know, it's so we just fire, did, right? Yeah, and that's what it was. It's such fire. And so we had no clients. I had no horse facility. I had nothing because, like I said, my family is not into horses, so I couldn't come back home to the family ranch. You know, so come back home, and we're like, okay, you know what? I have no income. You have no income. Well, she she had an income, but it wasn't obviously just saying two people at, in your mid twenties. You know what I mean? Yes, or sir. early twenties. We're like, all right, let's just get at it. And so we knew, you know, I we I still knew a lot of horse people in this industry, you know. And so uh, got a phone call and uh, asked if I wanted to work with rescue horses. And when I'm talking rescue horses, I'm talking the craziest things I've ever seen in my life, where they have been beaten with baseball bats constantly. I mean, these these horses are when you walk up to them. They're shaking in their bones, ready to flip over, and I'm so blessed for that experience. Because when I, when you can work with those kind of horses and make them successful, no matter what horse comes in your path, isn't going to be very hard. It's pretty cool to be able to put trust back into a horse. You know, trust in a human being. I agree. You know, and that was one of the coolest journeys because that now will rewind back to my childhood and all the trauma that helped me dramatically with there. And we were very successful. We were very, we were a power couple, you know, and then with social media and stuff, you know, it, we started to get more recognized slowly, but surely. And then I, we come to the point where, you know, at this point it was only like maybe five or six client training horses that we're wanting, you know, which obviously that's not going to pay the bills when you own a facility, but we're like, Hey, let's just, and we're scared because we're, we're making a living what we're doing now. We obviously don't want to work with rescue horses our whole life, nothing against them. But I like to show horses. I like performance horses. I like, you know, I want to broaden my, um, ex, you know, horizon. So what was the only way to do that? Was find a facility and train out of it. So I found a facility and it was just at a person's house. You know, it wasn't anything fancy. It had maybe eight eight turnouts, saline twos, and, and a 
decent outdoor arena. And then it then did that for a bit. And all of a sudden, just everything blew up, just started growing out of control. But what I think it was, was how I conducted myself. It had nothing to do with horse training at this point. It really, I mean, obviously it has something to do with it because you want a good product. Yeah, you want to put out a good horse. Sure. And that, that obviously is part of it. But what it was, was the humility towards the clients. It was making a client experience just as good as the horse experience because you are in a hospitality industry in, in a content because you've got the horse, and like I said, the horse is quiet. You just do your job with him, but you've got the owner. So what I think made my business as successful as today was making the owner experience as phenomenal as I could, where I didn't come off as a as this big bad horse trainer. Not when I say big bad, I don't mean like physically bad, but you know, a guy that is on his high horse yeah, or carrying his ego around. Yeah, you know, and I wanted to be the guy that when you came to my barn, you're like, oh, hey, it's Alec, and you can tell me anything. You can have conversations. Obviously, there has to be some level of respect there because we're in a business platform. Mm -hmm. But I wanted it to where you are so excited to come see your horse because you yourself were going to have a phenomenal horse experience. And so that, I truly think that's what helped grow my business so fast. And you hear all the time, you could be the world's greatest horse trainer, but if your PR skills are awful, you're going to fail. And it's true because what do people remember? People remember the way you make them feel. Yeah, it's not it's not how well you slid that horse. Yeah, it's not how far you slid that horse two years ago. It goes, holy smokes. When I was talking to Alex Owen, he was one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. And I literally try to be like that all the time because that's what they're going to remember. And that's how you get the references. That's how you get, hey, you know, this guy's super good at horses. That's not what they're portraying in the in the business platform they're portraying he was so nice and explained things so clearly and was very respectful about how he said that stuff that to me was what's going to help a horse business obviously like we said before you have to be good at what you do that's no different than any industry but it goes back to the humility and willing and be patient with these clients so they have a great experience so i that was in my father's the same way holy smokes i am a small version of my father <laughs> and so uh it's an awesome business model to have because a lot of people who work with horses, especially in the Western discipline, I mean, a lot of the work is done on your own, right? You don't have a lot of human interaction with clients per right. se. They come and they drop off a check and a, a horse and you right. put a bunch of work on them and then you, you give them back. And And I think, you know, if I were to run a facility, I think there needs to be a healthy level of client integration into uh, your training program. Because when you cut that horse loose at the end of uh, of your training, you know, it's only fair to the horse that you train up that owner so there's an easier transition in going back home. I 100% agree. And that's what we said. Before. That's why that's why I give free lessons. And I lose a pile of money off this. Oh, golly, I know I do. But it's worth it. Because if I give someone free lessons, now they're not going to be in every day. And, you know, they're not going to take advantage of them yeah. because, because I'm running a business. But if we plan something out appropriately with their schedule – I know that if, if they work with this horse and, and, I, and I'm not going to charge them, I know they're kind of sometimes going to want to do it more because they don't feel pressured like, oh my gosh, I didn't bring my checkbook. and I, You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Now, like I said, that's a business preference. Like I said, I lose a pile of money on that, but that's okay because I know the success rate will be 10 times higher when they go home. And that's the business platform I had, I wanted to have when I started with the rescue horses. So we're growing and growing and growing. And uh, I, I went, uh, that's when we had that really nasty winter a couple years ago. And I go, I can't train during the winter. Oh my gosh, I, I, what am I going to do? So I looked for a new place and I thank the Lord found a, a gentleman named Myron. And uh, he's in his 70s and he, he's 
been a farrier his majority of his whole life, you know, and he's trained my horses. He goes, hey, why don't you train at my place? He had a small little indoor. And I uh, was training out there for about two, almost two years, you know, and I really got to work under him. You know, he had the old man wisdom. You know, he was done it, riding horses his whole life. And so he helped me grow, and I will own it to this day. That man has formed me horsemanship-wise into what I am today. So I was there for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, business got bigger. And now I'm at the place I am today. And uh, and now I'm 25, and I'm so fortunate to have a, you know, I came upon this place, and a random cow horse gal asked me if I would uh, take the other part of this facility on. So um, I've got a 21-stall barn, um, indoor, outdoor. We're on like almost close to 80 acres. I think there's 100 cows here. And so I am truly blessed to be at the spot I am here today. And I live on the site too, which is a blessing and a curse. I was saying, yeah, I was saying, nice commute and decent facility to work on. My commute's about four steps out my door. So That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, so now this is where kind of tragedy strikes again for me um, in the last year. So all that stuff that happened as a child, you know, I, I took my morals and I took what my father taught me and they, uh, they re-showed their self, had to this year. Um, so I got married um, to my wife at that point, you know, and, and uh, she unfortunately um, got into some bad stuff, kind of got with some drugs and, uh, and they really rampaged our life. You know, they really, you know, you know, anything you can try and help, it just doesn't work. They have got to do it themselves. There is life hitting me in the face again. And it didn't take very long, you know, from childhood to your mid twenties, that's not a long time yeah, for us. Say, that's, a, that's a quick span. So that was going on for a while, you know, and, and a lot of bad stuff happened. And, you know, it brought me to my knees sometimes, you know, because it's your wife at that point. We tried to make it work, tried to make it work, and I did my best, you know. And, and, uh, and there was a couple of times where you just want to quit in life because I would, I would say this last situation was honestly worse than my first one. In what, in what way? I mean, spiritually, physically? Well, I would say because mentally, your mental health, your, your, your physical drive, you know, because now it's, it's back then it was just a guy that did some bad stuff to me. You know what I mean? Now it's your significant other that you trusted with your life and your morals, you know, and your, and your, and your future family. So that was real. That was, it truly hit me on the head because before it was, like I said, it was just some guy. It was my neighbor. Didn't have any connection to him uh, as he was just my babysitter. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm 25 and you know, I'm not, no, no, no. 24, getting married. So we, we were even married a year. We were together for about uh, almost five years. So that's what it was. Uh, and I'm such a family man. Oh, my dream is to have children, and I want that more than anything. All that happening with your, your the woman that you trusted your whole life with, you know. And so she unfortunately made too many wrong choices with, with the authorities, and, and she's paying the price for it, you know. And, and it really stumbled me to my knees. But I had to look back on what my father taught me, what my mother taught me, what the horses have taught me, and my my past experiences. And like you know, it's not it wasn't that it really truly wasn't that simple. But uh, I really had to gather myself up, and and I'm still going through through it. But what what really has saved me is the horses, because they don't care what my ex wife did, right? They don't care what my home life was. They only truly care about how me and them interact with each other. And they don't come out of the stalls nine times out of ten thinking, how am I going to ruin this guy's life? Yeah. It's, usually the, it's usually the exact opposite. Yeah. You know, it's the humans. And so that being said, the horses, you know, every day, it was just like the, uh, the next day after all this stuff happened, they're like, hey, man, how's it going? You know what I mean? You, get, you ready to go to work? And 
that concept every single day really motored me through this whole endeavor. And I'm like, you know, and it's not over still and we're trying, you know, or not weird, but I'm trying to get better, you know. And, and so now some time has passed since this has all happened, you know, and, and, but the business and the horses have really helped me thrive through this process. You know, and, and listening to you describe your circumstances here as of recent and talking about how the horses carried you through, it got me thinking, you know, sometimes, and this goes back to the whole, the whole victim mentality that we talked about in the, in the start of the conversation. You get buried with, with whatever the adversity is in your life. And we've all done it to where, you know, you think, poor me, or how am I going to do this? Or, or I, I can't get out from underneath myself. But you having to go to the barn every day and get horses worked and interact with horses and emotionally be raw with them, right? To right. properly put work in. Right. You know, they almost, I wonder if they carried you through in the fact that they never allow you emotionally to sit back and feel sorry for yourself. I agree. No, and that's true. That's 100% true. You know, because you 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 do have to emotionally be there with them, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and, yeah. and they will pick you up. If you, you do have that I I've got a horse named Nugget and I'm named her after the Nugget Casino in Reno because last year, oh, maybe almost 2 years ago, he was I did an extreme Mustang makeover and I and I and I got this horse and uh, he is the kindest soul. And I was, and I started him. He was wild. Brought him to the facility. Started him. And he is the most kindest hearted horse in the world. And so, every day, if I if I'm feeling honestly, true, truly, just sorrowy and sad, you know what happens to everyone? I will literally just go lay on him bareback. And he is just no awesome. matter where I go, this horse and me are. And, He's able to center you. Oh man! And you know he's he's he is truly one of the greatest greatest gifts in my life. And uh, so. I'm not, him as a horse has says he's an amazing, amazing part of my life. We've definitely covered a lot of ground. Uh, I personally want to thank you for being as honest and as raw as you have been. I mean, these are terribly tough situations for anybody to discuss, let alone experience, regurgitate, and relive. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about tremendous value coming from it for the listeners. I guarantee this is going to resonate with somebody out there and, and turn a corner for them. Well, I really hope so. So in traveling through your journey, and you've touched on it throughout the conversation, what is your drive with Owen Horsemanship? I mean, what are your goals? Where do you see yourself? What What is the fire that burns inside of you to, to get up every day? Yeah, no, that's an awesome question. I'm glad you asked that. So I, I'm a businessman in my home. I want to conquer the world, okay? But what I really want to do is I want to spread my horsemanship with the world, Okay, I want to share my testimony. I want to share my experiences. Want to um, share the love of horses with everyone, you know, and, and the horsemanship side of it, training people, uh, you know, teaching people horsemanship and how to handle horses, how to stop horses, how to spin horses, how to have fun with their horses, you know. I want truly to be the world's greatest horseman. And people laugh at that. Oh my gosh. People go, oh, there's too many. But I go, that's not the attitude to have. You know, I want to travel the United States and, and hopefully the world do clinics, you know, um, sharing the method, you know, talking about different breeds, how do we, how I train this breed versus that breed. Well, at the end of the day, the foundation is the foundation, you know? Yes, sir. And so, uh, I do a lot of Mustang stuff. So I love sharing the Mustangs with the people. I get a lot of awesome, fun breeds sometimes. And I, and I really want to share that with the public. With my business is I start a lot of horses for some weird reason. I love riding on horses. Absolutely love it. If I could pick a, a two-year-old horse over a bridled horse riding, I'd pick a two-year-old. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's, and, and some people call me crazy, but uh, 
I always make the joke. I go, you know, have you ever rode a bridle horse and you just lope 20 circles perfectly? You're like, woo! Like, it's exciting and it's awesome to have that timing and feeling with the horse. But there's nothing better than riding a, a two-year-old with the raw emotions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where they don't know what to do and you've got to physically and guide them through there with… Coach them through yeah, it. Yeah, with timing and feeling. And there's, no, oh, it's spiritual. You know, yeah. it, it's, a, yeah. it's a whole other es- es- uh, essence, you could say. Yeah. So much more rewarding. You know, and when you ride two-year-olds and three-year-olds, and it can be any, how about we just say any unstarted trained horse? There's mm-hmm. so many problems that you can solve with young horses that apply to your normal horse all, all day long. So if, if someone's not being able to turn their older horse that's been trained for a long time, well, hey, watch me ride this young horse and watch me show him the right path to turning. Now apply that same thing you'd ride a young horse with to your older horse. Boom, fix the problem. Yeah, it's awesome. Young horses are just the rawest form of not understanding things. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think I think the horse, when you talk about helping human beings and that side of it, I think the horse is an awesome avenue to to allow people to kind of break down their own barriers, right? And kind of expose themselves a little bit. And people who experience trauma see other human beings as a threat, right? right. Because of whether it's physical abuse, psychological abuse, betrayal, I right. mean, you name it. There's always that predisposition that a, another human being is a threat. It's hardwired in us, right? I mean, right. we're we're a competitive society, competitive species, but the horse is able to kind of break some of those barriers and and ex, expose some of the individual. And and once people see that they can they can be raw, or they can open up, and they're not going to be judged, damaged, or jaded by it. I agree. That's when amazing things start to happen, and we've had quite a few guests. I mean, uh, Jeremy Sweetser, who who opened with podcast episode number one for us, yeah, Charlie Five Horsemanship. I mean, he's doing amazing things. Jeremy Harrell, like we mentioned before, doing amazing things, right? Helping human beings using horses, and almost every guest that we've had has done it on some level and some spectrum. So I'm excited to hear your stories, and I don't take it very lightly when you say it, when you say that you know you want to be the greatest horseman in the world because I truly think the people that achieve that level you have to have that mentality I agree. day in and day out. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Yeah. It's your journey and your travel, right? And and to any future horse people that want to make it a career, you have to have that mentality with humility. Though you, you can't do absolutely, it. you can't be agree. like screw these people or screw this. You go, you go. Thank you for your opinion. You know, and you just keep doing you in a positive manner. Yes, sir. Kind of touching back real quick with, with you said the other gentlemen that were on the show and what they've done with people. You don't see me show very often. I absolutely love to show horses. I absolutely love it because my thought is, I'm sure any horse trainer that shows on the highest professional level or they just do some 4-H show. We are simply showing horses to test our horsemanship versus competitors' horses. So I'm all for that, okay? Yeah. But the only reason you won't see my business as a horse show, uh, as a, as a trainer that simply shows horses is because what ends up happening sometimes is you lose those people that are into showing, but they need the most help out of anyone when it comes to horses, right? When it, if it's, if it's a training question or if it's a, uh, a confidence problem, right? An emotional issue with their horse, right? And I do get a lot of show horses and, um, and, uh, I've got a really, really fancy bridal horse right now, um, that I'm, I'm, fixing a couple issues with you know and the owner got fell off this horse and had lots of confidence issues right mm-hmm. and the horse is fine the horse is great but i love those interactions how can i help you work with this horse better and that's just the path the reason my business is the way it is because i truthfully felt like i was put on this planet for that journey it's an incredible perspective and 
And I tell people, I truly feel that that God has put the horse on earth to help man better live their lives or help teach man how to better live their lives. And and I think it's great that you are not losing sight of the power of the horse. I think it's easy for people in this business or industry to get caught up with capital gain, right? Instead of genuinely investing in your clients, they teach them just enough to to make them feel accomplished, but not enough to where they ain't going to come back tomorrow and pay for another lesson. Right, right. So for you to take the opportunity to be humble in your approach and, and really be invested in your client and your client's horses, I think is very, very commendable. And I think it's a, in the long run, it's going to be a far more powerful approach than than just chasing money because money comes and money goes and it doesn't define anything. I agree. And in the horse world, money comes and money definitely goes pretty quick. So you can't, oh, yeah. so you can't rely <laughs> on that. Sometimes it goes faster than it does come. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you can't rely on that. Like you said, you, yeah. you, you can't yeah. financially rely on it. You've got to do it for, you know, I would love to have a phone call with a rich horse trainer. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you find him, let me know. Yeah, if you can find him, I will get him on this show and he'll tell all of his secrets. Yeah, just not, exactly. This doesn't happen. So you've got exactly. to have that passion and drive for the horse and the people bringing you their horses or, you know, you won't be uh, uh, fulfilled, I think. You won't be spiritually or, or emotionally or uh, family fulfilled. You know, you, none of that will be filled. Yeah, and I, and I wonder, like, I found uh, as I go through life, I'm starting to understand the importance to legacy, and right. I wonder how many people out there listening have that same parallel. Like, I feel a personal obligation to learn as much as I can from all of the great horsemen that have come before me, right? right. They have thousands and thousands of hours into horsemanship and keeping the cowboy tradition alive, Right. and I feel I have to do my part to learn and retain as much of that and and pass it along and make it a, make it a little bit easier for the guys coming up behind us, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and we're always evolving. The industry is evolving, you know, and, and horsemanship is evolving. But I would I would agree with you, though. You know, the old the older cowboys, you know, the the, the Bucks, you yeah. know, Ray Hunt. That I the legacy needs to stay true, and we we can't lose this industry. You know, as technology grows and, and this and and we pursue into this next century, you know, it can be easily evaporated. Yeah. And so I'm I'm glad you brought that up because the legacy, your own legacy. But it's not so much the legacy of, of us humans the, the, in the industry, it's the legacy of the horse, you know, and, and the founders of, of what we do today that still apply. We can't let that go away. No, you're absolutely, absolutely true. Good stuff. Well, we've definitely covered quite a bit of ground. I mean, yeah. we've blown through an hour relatively quick now. As I wrap up with folks or as I wrap up with guests, I like to give them the opportunity to kind of sell themselves. I mean, we... We heard a little bit about the program early on in the episode. Um, you went into extremely, extremely valuable content throughout the lion's share of this this episode. But for folks listening and, and they want to support Owen Horsemanship or follow Owen Horsemanship, um, can you help educate them where to look? So we are on um, we're on social media. You know, um, I've got Owen Horsemanship. I believe it's one hundred and one on uh, Instagram, and then I've got um, Alexander Owen, my personal page that I share a lot of content to on social media. And then I've got Owen Horsemanship on social media. Um, we currently do not have a website uh, right now. We did, and then we want an alternate. We're, we're just trying to build a new website. You know, the best way to support our uh, my uh, horsemanship, you know, is follow, like content. Um, if, if you don't like something, make it, you know, voice it to me. Um, I'm all for that. You know, constructive criticism is one of the greatest things that we can do um, in a positive manner to help someone grow. Uh, you know, I, I like to post a lot of, you know, and a lot of sometimes trainers can have wishy-washy and uh, posting training videos. 
But I like to post training videos. If, I, if I'm riding a horse, you know, and I'm going, oh, man, I wish someone would have just – I wish I could have saw this somewhere. You know, so I like to make uh, videos and, and go, you know, how do I even simply – how do I properly lead a horse? Or how do I pick up feet in, a, in an issue? Or, or how do I collect a horse or, or stop or spin? Or I, I really like to make those videos for the public because uh, now that we're growing in this new age of technology, you know, you have to adapt. And, and I really want to share that with the public. And so everyone and any well anyone's welcome at my barn. You know, I don't have I don't have a discipline that I'm bound where you said, Oh, you're a dressage, you can't come into my barn because I ride ranch that all the time. You know, um, it doesn't matter what level you are, you know, if you there are so many amazing horse people out there, you know, come to my barn and let me learn from you, you learn from me, you know, share ideas, you know. Um, if you know nothing about horses, please come to my barn and, and let us help you. Um, everyone's welcome. You know, I, I when I started this business, I did not want to be a, a clique or a club. You know that if you aren't this, you're not allowed. I think it's incredible. I mean, you have a extremely heartfelt business model. I think it's it's got all the avenues for success woven into it. It's going to be real exciting to watch this thing grow. Thank you, sir. I I really appreciate you having me as a guest and, and, and letting me share my story on this phenomenal platform you you have. Yes, sir. It's my pleasure. Any final thoughts for anybody in closing? You know, uh, I'm going to bring up what I, you know, about my story, you know, all the adversity I had. You know, life gets better no matter what situation you're in. Grow from it. Accept it. Don't feel like uh, someone's a victim because if you play the victim role, you will be a victim until you die. And uh, so find whatever avenue you can, even hobbies. It, it, uh, hopefully it's horses because they're phenomenal creatures and they've helped me personally. But take the experiences you had and grow from it. You know, life gets better. Um, it's sure gotten better for me. And I've had two major adversities being 25, you know, um, life-altering adversities, you know, and I chose never to be a victim or, or blame myself for any of it, you know, and I go, how can I grow from it? Can I be a better person from it? And I have to share my story. No, it's incredible. And and I personally thank you very much. I am very appreciative of the time that you've shared and the lessons that I've learned in, in our conversation here over the last hour or so. And if there's anything that we can do here at the podcast to help you down the road, I mean, do not hesitate to reach out. We're very, very grateful for, for your lessons learned. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate all your time. All right, Alex, we'll talk to you down the road. And again, thanks from everybody here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Rain Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.